Hello, hello, and welcome to The Art of Being You with me, Rachel Wortman. You guys, this podcast is all about learning to be who God created you to be, embracing that person, and ultimately living your best life with Jesus. We've got a lot of great content today, so let's get to it in The Art of Being You. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the podcast. It is Podcast Tuesday, if you're listening, as we release them each week on Tuesdays. And it's one of my favorite days of the week. And, you know, I realized recently that I actually gave you guys wrong information. I had mentioned that the podcast had been going on for a little over a year. And uh, that was totally a misspeaking moment because at the end of March, we'll be celebrating our one year anniversary as a podcast. And so I thought for this episode, we would go back to the basics and just kind of explore again the concept of what it means to be you. So a little over a year ago, actually, is when God put this idea for the podcast in my heart. I felt like God had been really telling me, you need to do this, make this happen, you know, just feeling a sense of urgency around it. And I was trying to decide what it's going to be about and what are we going to call it? You know, just having this conversation with God. All right, Lord, I'll start a podcast, but what do you want me to say? And the thing I kept coming back to, the thing I felt like God kept putting on my heart was this idea of becoming you, embracing who you are. So the art of being you was born. This podcast, as I said in the intro, is really all about learning to be yourself, which ironically is probably the hardest thing you'll ever do. I mean, In what universe would it be the hardest thing to actually just be who you are? Well, at least in America. I can't speak for other countries. Here's what happened to me. In 2011, I really came to the end of myself. And I know some of you guys have probably heard this story before, but essentially I had this idea of who I wanted to be in my life. I had this picture of this specific woman and wife and mother, and I was really married to this idea that that was who I was and I was becoming. And in 2011, between being physically tired, I was pregnant with my third child and Uh, had two other little kids. So I was physically tired. I was emotionally tired. Life was just hard in certain areas. Our marriage was going through some difficult things. I was spiritually tired. And, you know, my life with Jesus just was not what I wanted it to be. And I came to the end of myself. In fact, I burned out. I had a mini breakdown, not necessarily a psychological breakdown, but definitely a major emotional breakdown. And what I discovered through some counseling was that I was not myself. I had embraced this idea that I was supposed to be this person and that person and that person, and it was really waging war on my soul. So I set out to learn what does it mean to love yourself I got familiar with the term self-hate. I don't know if you have ever heard that before, but it's basically the idea of rejecting yourself, of choosing that you don't want to be who God made you to be. I got comfortable with these terms. I got comfortable with my relationship with myself, and I really got to work. And what happened was nothing short of a miracle. It was nothing short of miraculous, at least in my life, and it utterly changed me. I feel like I died and was emerging as a new creation. 
it's interesting because in that process over the last eight ish years, I feel that same feeling, um, over and over again, this sense that I am dying to my flesh. I'm dying to my perception about myself. That's not God's perception. I am dying to what people think about me and I am emerging more and more, hopefully like Jesus. So I got this passion for this journey for myself and also for the people around me. In fact, I'm so passionate about it that I wrote a book. The book came out last year. I know a lot of you guys know it and some of you have even read it. And it's actually called You'll Get Out of It When You Learn to Love It. And that was a phrase that someone had said to me in regards to this moment in my life, actually in 2012, where I was still really grappling with all of this self-hate and disappointment about what my life had become. Now, you know, if you read the book, you actually hear my story, which is that everything on paper looked the way that it should, but internally I was dying. I was really really struggling. So you'll get out of it when you learn to love it is actually the specific things that I did to emerge from this cycle of self-hate. They are the actual moments of encounters I had with God, the practices and exercises that I did for myself and actually still do to keep me in healthy, to keep me healthy. And so um, I share that book with you. You can buy it on Amazon because if this podcast today really strikes a nerve with you and it's something that you need, I just encourage you buy the book, um, buy the book so that you can get the help that you need. So that being said, the art of being you is really about you becoming who you already are, you becoming who you already are. And when I say that, what I'm talking about is that God created you. He deliberately, intentionally designed you the way that you are. He knew the family he was putting you into. He knew the DNA, the genetic dispositions, the, you know, physical parameters that would come from that, the mental parameters. He knew all of it. He knew exactly what he was doing when he created you. And so the art of being you is essentially the art of letting go of every other voice and opinion except for God's, choosing to embrace who you were created to be. So for some of us, that means embracing a more bold persona. Maybe you were told in life that, you know, you're not allowed to shine, that your shining brightness was too much for the people around you. And so they cut you down so that they wouldn't have to deal with your success. So part of the art of being you, if that's you, is learning to let go of the fear, learning to let go of the timid outer shell that we put on the false persona of who we are. For others of you, there's a quietness in you that God created and you've told yourself and you've believed that it's weak to be quiet. It's weak to be gentle of spirit. And so you've put on this, you know, excessive bravado so that you can prove yourself to the world. And so for you, the art of being you might just look like letting down those walls, letting go of that bravado and just being at peace with who you really are. Here's a truth that I think you need in your life. No one else can live life quite like you. Let me say that one more time. No one else on the face of this earth, seven plus billion people, no one can live life quite like you. 
Yes, there are people who are gifted similarly to you. There are people with personality traits similar to you. There are people who are motivated in similar ways to you, but no one has the uniqueness of all of your package together. The family line you come from, the economic status that you were raised in, the economic status you currently live in, your um, ethnicity, your you know background religiously, all the things in your life come together to point to one truth, which is again, no one else can live life quite like you. So it's my personal conviction that we all reflect an aspect of God's character. In some of the earlier episodes of this podcast, I talked about this revelation that God had brought into my life where he showed me that he is essentially like a rainbow. And God created people, the earth, to be his reflection, right? We know that we are made in his image. And I felt like God showed me that he wanted me to understand that God in himself is so multifaceted. He's so complex, right? He is both intense and tender. He is both ferocious and fearless, but also he is sweet and meek and gentle. I mean, he is so complex and it would be nearly impossible for one human being, one single individual to really accurately reflect all that God is. So he disperses himself in creation. He makes some people red, they're fiery, they're bold, they're intense like he is, and they reflect him. But then he makes other people yellow and they are joyful and happy-go-lucky and they love to celebrate and, and you know, really shine and just enjoy life. And then he has people who are like the color green and they are nurturers and they maybe love to farm and they love to grow and they're very patient people. Do you get what I'm saying? So in this way, we have to understand no one else can live life quite like you. And also you are reflecting something of God that is so important to be on the earth. Maybe it's his beauty. Maybe it's his splendor or his mercy, or maybe you are the reflection of what resilience looks like. Maybe your life has been so difficult and you've had to bounce back so many times because you are reflecting the nature that God is resilient. Maybe you are the reflection that he is intense. And although, you know, of course, sometimes there might need to be some rough edges smoothed over, your intensity is a gift to the world. So becoming you, embracing you, perfecting the art of being you looks like understanding what you are here on this earth to reflect as a part of who God is. So you got to embrace that you're intentional. You are deliberately designed. No one else can live quite like you. You are reflecting something of the character and image of God. And the last part that's so important for us to understand is that the art of being you is knowing how to let go of opinions and perceptions that don't line up with who you really are. This is the hard part, right? This is the part where we go into our past and we begin to look at the things that shaped us and we begin to identify those key thoughts and beliefs and maybe even lies that were really shaping in our wounding narrative. I mean, every child experiences difficulty, right? I joke with my husband all the time that we're already saving money to pay for my kids therapy, you know, from having me as their mother. And I am actually actively trying not to wound them. We all have a narrative where there's been difficulty in childhood. And so we have to learn how to identify those beliefs and those things that were said and then deal with them. 
So in my journey, I told you guys a little bit about how I bottomed out. I, I really, I kind of failed at life in 2011 and I was emerging uh, 2012, 2013, a new woman trying to embrace who I am. And I've been on this eight year journey of doing that. And there's a couple of things that have been really helpful to me that I actually didn't put in the book that I wanted to talk to you about today. So I am a huge believer in personality tests and I wanna give you a disclaimer. Personality tests are not meant to box you in to define who you can and cannot be. They are meant to help you understand how you are. So there's four very popular tests that have meant a lot to me. And the first one is the Myers-Briggs type indicator test. This is the first test that I took. It's, um, you know, sometimes shortened to the MBTI. And this is basically, you get a combination of four letters and these letters uh, define how you receive and process information. So the Myers-Briggs is great, but it's identifying how your brain works. So where you draw your energy from, how you make connections between points of information, how you order that information, that's what the Myers-Briggs is doing. So it's really helpful to just have a basic understanding of how you're wired. But I do find that it's a little bit limiting because there's a lot of um, nuance and complexity in each individual person that's actually not reflected in the Myers-Briggs. You can have the same four letters as someone else and yet be a completely different person. So I do find the Myers-Briggs a little limiting. The second one that I have liked and enjoyed is the DISC profile, D-I-S-C. And this one really looks at how your brain relates to other people. It identifies some natural stressors that are in your life, which is always a good thing. And it also talks a lot about how you are in a team dynamic, in a team setting. So the DISC is a fantastic profile, specifically related to your job and who you're working with. But I also found it a little bit limiting in terms of me wanting to grow personally. Then I went through a stint where I, and I still am, all about the Gallup Strengths Finder. So the Strengths Finder has identified 34 strengths in the world that all people have at some level. Some of them are very small on your list. You know, that would be like numbers 30 through 34. Um, but everybody has a top five that you're doing without even trying. These are strengths that are coming out of you um, that are what you're doing. It's what you're good at. It's identifying what you're good at. And I love this because the idea of the strengths finder is really to challenge you to stop working on getting better at where you're weak and to embrace where you're strong and put your efforts to growing those strengths. So for me, my top five, in my top five strengths, the first one is strategic. And oh my goodness, when I learned that about myself, I thought that explains everything. For example, when I make my grocery list at the store, I cannot stand to backtrack. So I will mentally map out where things are in the store so that I can order my list in the order of the aisles so that you won't see me going back and forth about the store. It's not because I'm lazy. It's because it drives me nuts feeling like I could have mastered it like it was a game. I do this when I'm booking air flights for my family when we're going on a trip. It's like I'm on nine different sites strategizing how's the, you know, what's the best way to save the most money. The strategic part of me is literally always happening in my life. Um, my number two strength was communication. If you know me at all, you know that I love communicating, whether that's digitally, posts on Facebook or Instagram, uh, creating the graphics for my church, writing sermons, this podcast, so many other things. Communicating is a huge value to me. So that's some of the things the Finder helps you identify. 
Um, and then the last one that I want to spend the rest of our time talking about is the Enneagram. And I love the Enneagram. Those of you that know me personally, you already know this because I talk about it all the time. I'm one of those people. But the Enneagram has gotten kind of a bad rap in Christian circles, especially charismatic Christian circles, because we don't want to have any affiliation with anything that we would perceive as darkness. But the guy who's sort of credited as bringing the Enneagram to America was definitely like into the occult and had some weird stuff going on in his life. So I know a lot of people who've said, I'm not even going to touch the Enneagram. Here's what I want to say to you. The Enneagram actually predates this guy, um, and, and most of what he was saying about it is not what people are talking about when they talk about the Enneagram today. If you are interested in the Enneagram, I would suggest um, the Instagram handle at your Enneagram coach. Enneagram is spelled E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. And um, this is a husband and wife who are believers, and they have a very gospel-centered approach to the Enneagram. But here's the idea. There are nine different types in the Enneagram that are essentially evaluating what your motivations are. This is why I love it so much, because a lot of us are not able to articulate what motivates us in life. And until we can see that, we're going to be limited in our ability to embrace who we are, because unless you know why you do what you do, then you won't know why you need to change. So here's what happened with me. I came across the Enneagram. I think a friend or two had posted about a book about it. And I was like, that looks like a pentagram, not interested, didn't even investigate it. Eventually the curiosity exploded in my heart and I began to look at it. I took a test and I came out as an Enneagram seven. So I did what any normal person would do and went and found a podcast where someone was talking about being an Enneagram seven. And uh, I listened to this podcast while I went to pick up dinner for my family. And I was sitting in wings stop like with the smell you know it's one of those moments where it'll be blazing in my mind forever the smell of hot wings was coupled with this woman telling her story of what it meant to be an enneagram seven and i thought to myself she is describing the darkest parts of my mind right now the stuff that i would never even say out loud to someone else that motivates me this woman is describing it to the T. And from that moment on, I was hooked and I was deeply offended. So I've read one article that I love the way this person says it. He says, you'll know you found your Enneagram type when you read the description and you're kind of offended at what it says. I have found that to be so true because it's looking at what motivates you. So here's an example, if you're not familiar with this at all. For the seven, the Enneagram seven, we are motivated by trying to avoid pain. Now, if you know me at all, I have been hospitalized more times than I can count. I have dealt with my fair share of physical pain. So hearing that naturally would say to me, no, that's not really true. I'm not necessarily trying to avoid pain any more than anyone else. But the pain of facing what I can't do in life, the pain of facing my limitations, the pain of facing my own failures or God forbid my own fears, no, it will be very rare when I will allow myself to deal with that. So that's an example of the motivation. So one of the things that sevens do is we distract ourselves by being busy, by keeping a lot of, you know, irons in the fire, by having so many different ideas at one time so that we don't have to face what might not be working in our life. Now, that's an interesting statement considering that, um, 
you have to face what's happening in your life if you want to perfect the art of being you. So the Enneagram has been a huge blessing to me in my life. I'll just say one more thing about it. In my relationships, some of the most difficult relationships in my life were the code of them was cracked. Thank you to the Enneagram. And it's not the Enneagram. It is how God has used the Enneagram in my life. So my husband, for example, is an Enneagram five. And I know I'm saying this word so many times, it's like driving me nuts too, so I apologize. But he's a five, and fives need so much alone time because they talk about it being like they have an attic in their mind where they live out life. So when a five is not doing well, they will retreat to the attic of their mind and relive the life's moments because they were actually observing them instead of living them. So they go into a safe place in their mind and they feel the thing that the rest of us are feeling as they're happening in that moment. Wow. When I learned this, parts of my marriage that had driven me nuts were all of the sudden explained in a way that my husband could not figure out how to say. I told him one time that I'd listened to a podcast about fives and this girl was describing it like this. She said, it feels to me like life is happening so fast that there is no way I could possibly like absorb it all. So I just observe it. And then I go back and slow it down in what she calls the attic of her mind and live it out at a pace that I can process. And I said, would that be something that you would identify with? And he looked at me and he said, you know, I would have never used those words, but yes, that's exactly what my life feels like. And it has helped me not only have more compassion for our differences, but also be able to not take it personally when he needs time to go process life that's away from me. I mean, on the Myers-Briggs, you know, there's a scale of zero to 30 on the extroverted side, and I placed at a 28. I saw getting married as my opportunity to never be alone again. I do not do well when I'm alone. Well, now at this point, because I'm embracing who I am, I've learned how to be alone and I actually do enjoy it sometimes. But I will always begin to feel drained when I'm by myself because I'm not designed that way. In fact, I used to, before I had kids, I, if I was by myself, I would just go to the mall and walk around so I didn't feel like I was alone. Now I have so many kids, I'm very rarely alone. So when I do get alone, it's enjoyable to me. Um, but my husband, he has to have this alone time. And so I viewed marriage like, yes, I never have to be alone again. And that was so suffocating to him. It caused a lot of problems in our marriage that I internalized as rejection, as something wrong with me. So thank you to the Enneagram for helping me recognize it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with him embracing who he is and me giving him permission to be himself. So how does this all play into becoming you? Well, I had to let go of the perception that didn't identify, it didn't line up with who God had said that I am. I'm not a rejected person. I'm not a fatally flawed person. I'm not someone who is a failure in relationships or any of those things. So to become you, to embrace that means you have to be able to identify those beliefs and then let them go. So here's what I want to leave you with. I encourage you, exchange the lies you're believing for truths. So that requires you identifying them as we've already talked about. But then go the extra mile and make the decision to say, what is the truth about this that I'm believing? And then exchange it, do a swap. So when you start to feel or believe the lie, stop yourself and say, you know what? That's not true. For example, you know what? He's not rejecting me by going and being uh, alone and having alone time. He is 
like absorbing his life. He is processing his life. However, you know, the truth that I didn't articulate that very well, but exchange it for the truth. So you're going to exchange the lies. You're going to learn who you are. You can use one of these four personality types or a different one, you know, a different, um, set. You're going to learn yourself. Then you're going to embrace yourself. And then guys, you're going to own it. You're going to own being you because again, no one else can live life quite like you, whether you're quiet, whether you're loud, whether you are bold, whether you're more reserved, whether you are as wise as the most sage wisdom person on the earth, or whether you constantly make mistakes, nobody else can live life like you. So I am encouraging you be yourself, be who God made you to be. And get on that journey of learning more about you so that you can become an even better version of yourself. That's all we've got for today. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be blessed. So you've just listened to The Art of Being You with Rachel Wortman. I hope you enjoyed this episode of my podcast. And listen, it would mean the world to me if you would subscribe and rate or review this podcast on wherever you're listening from. Also, share it with a friend. Help me get the word out. Until next time, be blessed.